reading today will be from Psalms 51, 1 through 19. Psalms 51, 1 through 19. Have mercy, mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sins are ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delighted truth, and in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the, scarlet, in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart of God and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, guiltless, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud in your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will Declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with my burnt offerings. The sacrifice, sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Verse 18, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in the right sacrifices and in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, I'm very happy to be with you today, and I'm very grateful for your presence and to participate in this wonderful time of worship together is always a pleasure for me, and uh, I hope that you'll be with us again this evening at 6 o'clock. I expect to speak on the subject, there came out this calf, and uh, you may recognize that as a statement that was made by Aaron in the book of Exodus. I wrote a little article on that in the front page of our bulletin to kind of look at the background of what I want to talk about tonight. And really, it's all about excuse-making. And so I'd like to uh, refer to Aaron. As great a man as he was, he offered a pretty flimsy excuse long ago, and I want to learn by that. And so I look forward to being with you tonight. I hope you'll be with us at 6 o'clock, where we'll study from the pages of the Old Testament about this great character of the Old Testament. Uh, thank you for the reading. Thank you for the prayers and for your presence. 
I am looking at uh, Psalm 51 today. I've done this before. I have studied out of this great psalm on a number of occasions, looking at it from different perspectives. And I think the one great point that we want to get is this matter of David rededicating his life to God. Uh, This matter of washing comes up immediately in the first part. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, verse 2. And I think we can relate to that when it comes to the matter of washing ourselves spiritually. I don't know if you knew about it or not, but when the bathtub was first invented, people just threw a fit over that. Uh, It was introduced, and Northern Newspaper called it a luxurious and democratic vanity. Then there was a Boston newspaper can't bathe and have these luxury baths without a doctor's appointment. And then there was a Philadelphia City Council came together, and they decided that a you can't take a bath from November the 1st to March the 15th. Uh, let me ask, how many of you took a bath this morning? Maybe I should ask it this you took a bath in the last two or three days? Well, I got a little better response on that. Thank you very much. This is what we're really about this morning. And we're talking about spiritual cleansing. And this point about cleansing, spiritually speaking, becomes a very important matter because we realize the need for it. 1 John chapter 1 talks about cleansing. There, John writes... In this passage, verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. There's that point about cleansing in the blood. If we say we have no sin, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's verse 9. This matter of the child of God and cleansing is very important. And John writes from the standpoint of Christian people need cleansing, just like everyone else does. Now, we often spend a lot of time talking about the sinner who's never obeyed the gospel. And we emphasize the point about their repentance and confession of faith and being baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins. And, well, we should. And I just don't see any way we can overemphasize that important matter. If someone is here today who's never obeyed the gospel, I urge you to do it before it's too late and become a child of God in the biblical New Testament way. But sometimes we forget about the fact that children of God sometimes go astray and we need to rededicate our lives to God once again. We need cleansing, spiritual cleansing. And John was mentioning that important matter 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, and verse 9. If you'll notice in our study, Psalm 51, verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He wants cleansing. He wants rededication. He's confessing his sin. And he's saying, I want to be in a right relationship with God once again. He doesn't want his conscience soothed. And sometimes we're that way. We want our conscience soothed. 
letter was written to the IRS. The man said, gentlemen, enclosed you will find a check for $150. I cheated on my taxes last year. If I still can't sleep at night, I'll send you the rest of it. People want their soothed. We don't want cleansing. We just want to be able to live with ourselves without any problem. This individual in Psalm 51 is saying, cleanse me. Make me whiter than snow. I want to be right before God once again. When we obey the gospel of Christ, we now are placed in a new relationship with Christ. We are in Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. But we can fall out of that relationship. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4. And in so doing, need rededication of life. And come back to Christ. Now David's in a royal mess and he's talking about that in Psalm 51. Yes, the pun was intended. And yet David is saying, I want to get out of this. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want to be cleansed. David realizes for rededication and re a relationship with God once again, the following must take place. I've got to admit my sin. Now in verses 1 through about admitting sin. And I don't know that I've seen or heard of a person admit sin more directly than this one right here. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know and my sin is ever before me. This is a statement of fact. I'm guilty of sin. Most of the time we want to Most of the time we want to say, well, other people have done this. A lot of other people have done this and a lot worse. David could have rationalized in his own mind, you know, I'm the king of Israel. I can do what I want to do. I have the freedom to do these particular matters. And yet he realized that it was... He realized, I want to please God more than I want to please men or want to please myself. He recognizes his sin. To admit this takes a great deal of humility. A lot of times we'll try to rationalize it away. A lot of times we'll try to deal with it on our own way. A lot of times we'll try to... There are a lot of other things. Time will erase it after a while. Don't worry, time's a great healer. It'll take care of my sin. Rededication of life requires a first step. The first step it requires, admit you're guilty of sin. It's something that's not easy for us to do. We're very defensive about the matter. In our day and time, it's a thing for us to try to call it something else. Instead of calling it lying, well, I was just exaggerating. We've got to admit our sins, that it's what it really is. We have euphemisms which try to make sin more acceptable. It's not as bad as we really think that it is. Well, I had a little too much to drink. 
rather than say, I was guilty of the sin of drunkenness. I was involved in a relationship rather than admit the sin of adultery or fornication. We try to make euphemistic type of expressions so that it'll go down a little easier. The first thing we've got to do, I am guilty of sin. If you come to that point, you're headed back down the road toward rededication. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 3. Whereby the child of God is saying, Cleanse me, Lord, of the blood, with the blood. Cleanse me, Heavenly Father, as I confess my faults before you. In Hebrews chapter 4, passage that always comes to my mind, I think of it often. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us admit the fault that we've made, and in turn receive the grace and the mercy that we really need. Out in Northern California, a great tree called the sequoia tree. There's a certain tree out there called General Sherman. I saw the tree myself. It's a huge tree that had fallen down on the ground. The Union Army used to stable their horses in the inner part of the tree. It's that large. Sequoia tree can withstand lightning strikes. Sequoia tree can withstand wildfires. But what actually caused General Sherman to fall down on the ground were beetles that would attack its roots. And the beetles would continue to attack this great massive tree until finally it fell down. You see, that's the way sin is. It's not necessarily the big things in life that knock us off our props. It's the little sins that continually nag at us and stay with us, and eat away at our inner well-being and our desire to be in a proper relationship with God. In that sense, there are no... Sometimes we think, well, that's a little sin. We don't have to really be concerned about that. The big sins I got under control. Yeah, I've got some little sins that I'm just going to ignore. It's like the beetles working on a giant sequoia. It'll bring you down. You've got to admit your sin. You've got to come to the point as David did, I have sinned and my sin is ever before me and I cannot continue to live a happy life as long as I know that I'm guilty and sinful before God. I want rededication. I need cleansing spiritually, washing in the blood of Christ. David made the point sin was against God. And that's true. Every sin is against God. We can talk about sinning against another person, but every sin really is a sin before God. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be in your words and blameless in your judgment. David said, I've sinned against God. Sinned against God and I realize thing that separates me from God. Because of this sin, I'm no longer in a proper relationship with God. Oh, I was at one time. 
But now, because of my sin, sin has separated me from God. That's his point in verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence. You notice the separation there. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. I don't want to lose this relationship that I've had with God. I want it back because me from God. One of the great Bible passages that teaches that point about sin and its effect on us and our relationship with God is Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. He says, God is not short. His hand is not short that he cannot save, neither is ear dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and he will not help you. He will not hear you when you pray to him. That's what sin does. And if I want rededication and to be pleasing in the sight of God and renew this wonderful relationship that I have with God, I'm going to have to recognize this fact, sin is against God. And I've got to do something about it. In the long ago, Genesis Joseph, a just man, was sold into slavery. He finds his way into Potiphar's house, but Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him and lead him away. And Joseph, even as a young man, said, how could I commit this sin against God? He realized that it was a betrayal of God and a transgression before God. If I want rededication of life, in turn, I've got to recognize the sin is against God, and I've got to make it right before God. Many times we preach about a person obeying the gospel and becoming a Christian, but we also need to emphasize the importance of rededication of life. There may come a time when you fall away from the Word of God, and you need to come back, and you need rededication. How do you do that? First of all, you've got to admit your sin, and then secondly, you've got to realize that the sin which has been committed is committed against God himself. David talks about the burden of sin. Six. I don't believe we can emphasize the importance of this point too much. Notice what the Bible says. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Now, I've got to pause for a moment and address an issue that really is not on point but always comes up when you read verse 5. For those who falsely take the notion that I was born in sin, you are mistaken. Psalm 51, talking about the idea that I inherit the sin of my mother and my father. This is really not on point, but this is an issue that comes up all the time. He's not saying that. He's saying that my sin is such a burden to me, it feels like I've been a sinner all my life. Now, that's a powerful passage, and it's not one that I want to back off of, simply because some misconstrue it. If you were to take the reasoning of some Calvinistic readers and, and students, you could say, in a cabbage patch did my mother conceive me. Would that make me a cabbage? Obviously not, but that's the type of reasoning that you have with regard to verse 5. Or in a state of drunkenness, my father beat me. Does that make me a drunkard? Obviously not. But that's not really the point of the passage. The point of the passage is the burden of my sin is so great it feels like I've been a sinner all my life. It's hyperbole. 
It's a type of literary device that emphasizes an important point I don't need to forget, and that is the burden of sin and the burden of guilt. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. He wants to be purged from his sins. He feels the guilt of it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, talks about a conflict that dwells up within us where we want to do a certain thing, but we know that it's wrong, and the Bible is telling us not to do it, but yet there's our desire in our heart that wants to go ahead and do that. And there's a kind of desire within the individual, a freedom of choice, whether to do this or whether not to do that. And sometimes we make the wrong choice, and we realize how sinful we are, and it is a burden. Now, the amazing thing is, you don't have to live that way. And you don't have to live, he says in verse 7, purge me. Purge me. We might create a little word here to help me understand it. Descend me. Take the sin away. I've got a burden. And I want the sin gone. If you're living with the burden of sin, get rid of it. And the only way to do it is repent of that sin and change your life to fall in line with the will and the word of God and in turn rededicate your life to Christ. The idea of wash wash me, the B part of verse 7, is an interesting phrase for him to use. The women would go down to the brook and they would dump the dirty clothes into the brook and they would douse them and douse them and then take them up and wring them out and they would wash the clothes. And David uses that kind of word, wash me, wash me, make me clean, take the sin away. It's a man who feels his sin and he's saying that God will do that for him. We know that God will do that for us by means of rededication of life. Yes, I was a Christian, but I've been unfaithful. I haven't devoted my life to Christ like I should. I haven't grown and matured in Christ like I should. I need washing. I need rededication of life. It's certainly the steps which are led to rededication. He makes mention of the term, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, Psalm 51.10, and renew a right spirit within me. He's confessing this particular matter. He's saying that I need this particular rededication. I need this life once again that I once had. Rededication. Help me. Help me with my desire. How many times... Have you prayed to God, forgive me of this sin, and then turn right around and do it again? And then pray to God, forgive me of this sin, and then turn right around and do it again? How many times have you done that? Have we not all done that? It takes rededication to God to get us over the burden and the guilt of sin and the strength and the power that sin has on us. There was a cartoon that I read one time about George Washington chopping down the cherry tree. 
And George confesses his sin of chopping the tree down. And uh, his father, in the next caption in the cartoon series, says, Okay, George, you confessed your sins about chopping the sin down. Now, when are you going to stop chopping cherry trees down? You've chopped this one down and you confessed it. Now you go back and you chop another one down. You confess your fault in that. You chop another one. When are we going to stop that? When are we going to stop this chain of sin? There comes a time where we pray for God's strength to help me. I disciplined my children. They would say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was talking to my daughter just yesterday about children, raising children. I guess once you become a father and a grandfather, you never stop teaching children and being a parent to children. You're constantly teaching. You're constantly living. You're constantly studying them ways and means in which to help them with their life and learn the important lessons of life. I said, you got to remember, children forget. You give them a lesson, and they accept that lesson, but it's not long that they will forget because they're children, and they've got to be reminded over this particular matter. But how many times has God done that for us? He's reminded us, clean up your life, and we clean up our life all the more to fall back into sin once again. When will we stop this and truly rededicate our life to God? And say, I'm through with this. I'm through with the love of sin. I'm whatever the sin might be. I'm through with the practice of sin. Whatever that sin might be. I'm rededicating my life to you. Because I want to be in that proper relationship with you. And I think like no other he lays bare his heart before God. He does this in verse 16 and 17. For... Open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You know, how many times have we played games with God, all the while, thinking that I'm doing this or doing that, but I really am my life to God. I'm not really changing my life and my heart to be in line with the will and the Word of God. Do you play games with God? Now, I think that's his point in verse 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice. Well, didn't God command sacrifices for them? Indeed, he did. Or I would give it. Be pleased with a burnt offering. Well, didn't God command burnt offerings for the children of Israel? Indeed, he did. Well, what's his point in verse 16? What's the point of offering those burnt offerings and those sacrifices if your life does not change according to the will of God? What's the point of going through the motions of a worship service if my heart is not in tune with the will of God and I'm not rededicating my life to God? What's the point of it? God does not accept our worship if our life is not in keeping with his word. We can go through the steps of worship and every bit of them scriptural steps, but yet if my life is not changed in the process and I'm not living the kind of life that God has given me to live, I am but playing games with God. David says, that's kind of a sham. You know, you don't delight in these, you don't delight in these offerings. Oh Lord, open my lips 
and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. And then he says in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. It's a changed life. And now it's a matter of humility. That now I'm looking to God for His guidance and direction and His word in life. And I'm following that. It's a broken spirit. It's an humble spirit. It's a desire to find out what God wants me to do and do it. Rather than simply go through a sham and worship God. What does He desire of me? Verse 17. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God won't despise that. If you have a broken heart, a contrite heart, a heart that is humble and desirous of God and His will for your life, He will not turn that away. A broken heart leads to rededication of life. But on the other side, pride and arrogance. If my heart is filled with desire for myself and my focus is on myself, then it is not going to be the kind of heart that will lead toward rededication of life to God. This really reflects the character of God, and I think that's his point in verse 18, verse 19. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. God will then accept the worship of his people when they, in turn, turn to him out of obedient faith. Turn with me to another psalm. I have just a brief moment here, and I'd like to use it discussing this as an illustration of our point in rededication at the present. Psalm 32. It's another psalm which really talks about forgiveness and healing. And that's a great word too. And he says, Blessed is whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now read verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is a great psalm, Psalm 32. And it really fits into as an illustrative means of our present discussion about rededication. And if you look carefully, I don't have the time to spend a lot of time on this great psalm, but I think it does talk about the character of God, though. And it helps me understand Psalm 51, verse, Psalm 32 does. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. You know, it reminds me in um, Mark chapter 2, where they brought that paralytic to Jesus. It's an amazing story, and I won't be able to spend much time with it. But Jesus is in Capernaum, and his fame and the popularity just goes throughout all of northern Galilee. 
And when they found out that Jesus is in this house, they crowded the house. There's no room at all. And four friends carry this paralytic and they carry him to the top of the house because that's the only way they could get him to Jesus. And they took the roof off the house large enough to lower the paralytic down before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to that man, your sins are forgiven. The greatest four words you will ever hear. Your sins are forgiven. The greatest words you will ever won the lottery. That's not the greatest words you'll ever hear. The greatest words you'll ever hear. It's not, you got the promotion. The greatest words you will ever hear. Not, the, t- the tests were negative. The greatest words your sins are forgiven. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Psalm 32 and verse 1. Whose sin is covered. And he says, now when I held this in, it was like gnawing at my bones. It was eating me up on the inside. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Verse 3. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I couldn't bear it any longer. I need forgiveness. I need rededication of life. I need it. Blessed is the man where God says to that man, Your sins are forgiven. Rededication. The ancients had a certain viewpoint about learning. I don't necessarily prescribed to it at all, uh, it was called a blank slate, the tabula rasa, whereby there was a lot of discussion in ancient times about this, what a person knows when he is born into this life, and the prevailing thought of the day, though I don't necessarily prescribe to it at all, is that a person doesn't know anything. I don't think that's true. I think we probably know certain things even before we learn them even before we're born but I'm not an expert in that matter I would just be my idea on it but when a person is born they said you know you come into this life with a blank slate and then as you grow in life learning and marks are made on the slate as you begin to learn more and you begin to learn more I doubt if that's true or not. I don't know whether it's true or not. I know this is true. When I rededicate my life, I have a blank slate, a tabula rasa, spiritually speaking. The sins are washed away, and I'm cleansed, and I'm rededicated in life to Jesus Christ. And the steps to that are laid out for me in Psalm 51. 1 through 19. Blank slate. It's the character of God. He wants to forgive. His divine justice is such that penalty for sin must be paid. But His divine love wants forgiveness for all. And how can divine justice and divine love 
come together, but in Jesus Christ, who paid the price satisfying divine justice, and at the same time so loving the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Today, you can have a tabula rasa. You can have a blank slate. Spiritually, you can be clean in the sight of God. For the child of God to rededicate his life, he can be in standing with God once again. Not playing games, not involved in any kind of sham, but a part of God's divine people, the church of the living God. For those of you who have never... Surely you see the need for repentance of sin and confession of faith in Christ and baptism into Christ for the remission of sins. For all of sin, glory of God. The only remedy for that is obedience to the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now is the time to turn to Him out of obedient faith. And by obeying the gospel, become a child of God. Whatever is needed, whether conversion to Christ and obedience to the gospel, or rededication of life, I urge you to respond. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.